All right. Good to see all of you tonight. Uh, is everybody a chair? Yes. Uh, my name is Brian. I am one of the pastors here at the Summit Church. We're really excited that you're here. Um, it really is a privilege to have you here, especially your guests. We're just really thankful. I really mean that. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for being here. Well, here's a question I'm asked fairly often. It's this. It's, did I know that I wanted to go into ministry from a very early age? Now, some of you know my story. I actually didn't become a Christian and follower of Jesus until I was 18 years old. Uh, and so, no, I didn't know that from a very early age. I actually first went into college uh, thinking that I would teach. I wanted to change the world. I just became a Christian. And I figured one of the best ways to do that was through education. Uh, so, my sophomore year, I was at the University of South Carolina. And uh, it was in my first education class where I had one of the most powerful experiences uh, in my college years, it was this. So we're in this college classroom, uh, circled up, and uh, as we get ready to do this, um, this class, it's the end of the semester, we're having end-of-year projects. And this project is basically where these groups of people are supposed to speak about a pressing issue in the world of education. Uh, in this class, the, the people who are leading chose to speak about bullying in classes, bullying. Now, here was the assignment that they gave. They, they got up, they taught about bullying, and then, and then as we were serving about, they handed out three by five note cards, they handed out things, they said this, here's what we want you to do. We want you to write down a deep, dark secret, and then we want, that you haven't told anybody, that you want to keep to yourself, and then fold a piece of paper and pass it to your left. So, okay, well, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And you were kind of like, what, what are you asking to do? So, I wrote down something silly, but everybody else wrote something down, folded it, passed it to the left, and so right after that, they decided to do something they hadn't told us they were going to do, which was they read what was written on the cards out, out loud to everybody. And people started to panic, like, oh my gosh, like, first you asked us to do this, and then you're kind of violating our trust. I had no idea what the point was with any of these. So they called the first card, they read it, and it says, I sing in the shower. I was mine. See, when they gave me that assignment, it was like, there's no way I'm going to actually write down like, a serious secret that I don't want anybody to know about, right? So everybody's kind of laughing, and whatever. But the second one, People stopped laughing. It said this. It said, I found a debit card laying next to the ATM student union. I stole $300 and I stole from somebody I don't even know. Hold on the next card. Card number three read this. It said, I still resent and hate my mom for the abuse she had subjected me to growing up. Well, I brought in for you. It said, I hooked up with my roommate's boyfriend last night. She still doesn't know. Now, to this moment, I have no idea what was the point of that exercise for the people who were leading my class, but I do know the point that God was giving to me in that moment was this. It was that everybody in that classroom, from the girl to my left, who seemingly had her entire life together, to the guy to my right, who seemingly looked like he had his life was falling apart, wanted and needed. Race. Everybody in that room, everybody in that room, wanted and needed some form of grace. They may not have called it that. They may have called it turning over a new leaf. They may have called it dealing with skeletons in my closet. They may have called it a new beginning. They may have called it forgiveness. But in the end, whether they realized it or not, as I saw the look on these guys and girls' faces, an image that is burned into my memory, every single face wanted and needed grace. That's what happens when you think about the horrible things that you've done and the horrible things that have been done to you. Many of you can relate to that. Many of you can think about 
Maybe seeing the trivial things that you want a new game with. You can think about the fact that when you were younger, you signed up some credit card promotion. You didn't think it was a big deal. You swiped your credit card. You didn't actually believe that you were going to have to pay it back at some point. But now you're dealing with those loans out of interest years later. So these trivial types, yeah, I would love a new beginning. Or maybe it's something as serious as dating the wrong guy and making, not thinking critically about what the nature of your physical relationship is going to look like, and carrying the wounds from that very ungodly relationship till today. Everybody, everybody, everybody may not call it, but they realize it or not, wants and needs grace. Now, here's the good news for those of you who want grace and who want to be in the artist the highest by the beauty and concept that God could extend grace to you, to me, who mess up our lives in a way we can never imagine. It's this it's that Paul is going to do everything he can in this passage to leave us with a legacy of grace. He's going to do everything. He's going to come and he's going to plead, not just to Timothy, not just to the church that Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus, he's going to plead with you and me who are reading this text today that we would accept, we would believe, we would follow this legacy of grace, we would strive to pass it And not just that, he's not coming just as somebody who studied grace, not somebody who just speaks about grace. He is, uh, he is speaking to somebody who's personally experienced grace. He's saying, This thing is so beautiful, so mind blowing, so. Good. It's the greatest gift that I've ever received. I can't help and have everything in my heart wants me to pass it on to somebody else. So we're going to look at the text as we try to study and understand what does it mean? What does it mean that grasp and to pass on the legacy of grace of other people? Now here's the first thing you need to understand as we pray to look at the text. Is you can't understand the good news of grace until you understand the bad news, okay? You can't understand the good news until you understand the bad news. Now look at the text, look at verse 8. Paul says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So Paul is going to give this concept of the law. He's talking about the Old Testament law. This is an amazingly complex, deep issue. My goal tonight is not to explain it thoroughly, but rather to get in the heart of what Paul's talking about. So let's look at what he's saying. He's going to say, the law is bad news. It shouldn't be good news to you. The law should be bad news. Now look at verse 9. He says this, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their mother, fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and slavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Like I said, the law is an amazingly complex issue. It may not even be appealing to you, it's going to be very, very boring for you. But I'll just say this. A lot of times people try to wrap their minds around what the law is. People try to understand that. People were asking Jesus about it, and people are still asking people today. But here's the wrong way to look at the law. The wrong way to look at the law is like a ladder, okay? Like a ladder. A lot of people, people think of religious performance as a checklist of things you do. So you come to God with your religious resume. I've done this, I haven't done this. Check, 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 check. God will love you. It's like runs on a ladder to climbing up in order to work your way to God. And Paul's saying, look, you need to understand this. You can play that game if you want. You need to understand this. Nobody has ever won that game. Nobody's ever won that game. If that's the game that you're trying to play, it never, never works. Because if you've ever done anything, anything contrary to sound doctrine, anything contrary to sound doctrine, then you lose. God is perfect, he's holy, he's righteous, and you are not. You are not. So he says, the wrong way to look at it is the law being a ladder. He says, here's the right way. Paul doesn't say this, but he's not saying 
the right way of looking at the law is looking at like a drill sergeant. Okay, a drill sergeant. Now, many of you may not know this about me, but I have actually been through boot camp. Anybody know that? I've actually gone through boot camp. One person. Okay, good. I'm kind of explaining some new information about my life here. I started my college time at the U.S. Naval Academy and uh, went there to play baseball. And as I went there, we went through a thing called military indoctrination, uh, which is called boot camp. And so I have a drill sergeant, and the entire point of the drill sergeant is what? Is to tell you that you're messed up. See, it's interesting, people come into the academy and they come in from a variety of backgrounds. Everybody has something in common, which is they could pretty much kill it. They were the big men on campus, bad men, the small bond that they came from. And so they come into the Naval Academy thinking they could be individual, they think they have it all together. And the drill sergeant comes and he crushes you. He literally crushes you with his rules and his harsh words. I still have nightmares today. And the entire point, the entire point of boot camp isn't for you just to get through it, but it's for it to break you, to show you that you're not good on your own. You need the system outside of yourself in order to succeed. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying the point of the law is not to show you that you're good. It's to show you that you're bad. It's not like a ladder that you climb to get to God. It's like a mirror that shows back to you the condition of your heart. The fact that you're jacked up, I'm jacked up, we're all messed up, and we can't save ourselves. That's it. It's that simple. It's that simple. You can't understand the good news until you're willing to come to grips with the bad news. And I know, I know there's a million cultural reasons why you would push back on that. I know that you know people in our culture have invented entire philosophical systems to explain that way. People in our culture have invented new religions to explain that way. People on TV try to explain that way. A lot of times people try to blame the environment that they grew up in, their mom, their dad, their siblings, their co-workers. It's everybody's fault other than my own that I'm living the story that I'm living. And Paul's saying is you need to understand that you're messed up, it's your fault, you've broken the law, and just take responsibility for it. It's your fault. It's my fault. It's not somebody else's fault. It's my fault. And the consequences of that are serious. Just like when you break the law of the state or of the government, that puts you as an enemy of that state and government. Just like when you break God's law, you become an enemy of God. That is a very, very bad place to be in Canada. You can't understand the good news until you understand the bad news. So that may seem like bad news, but grasp, grasp in the problems of being willing to come to grips with the fact I messed up. I'm sinful. I sin against God. That puts me in a very, very bad place. Allows you to understand the good news of the gospel. If you don't grasp that, then the gospel will not be good news, and it will not make any sense to you. Okay? It won't make any sense to you. Now, as we move on, here's what Paul says. In verse 12, here's what he's going to do. He, he really wants you to get this legacy of grace. He, he really is passionate about this legacy of grace. And, and his first approach is to say, look, I'm going to try a very logical, sort of systematic explanation of what the need for grace is. But in case that doesn't you know, float your boat, in case you need something more emotional, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up my life to you. I'm going, it's like cracking open all through. I'm going to tell you my story. And I'm going to tell you how my life is a story of the most unlikely story of grace. So look at verse 12. Paul says this. He says, I thank you who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithfully, appointing me to his service. But formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorant and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord 
overflows from him with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. See, it's pretty interesting. I think about this. Paul is aware of the fact that he's writing the New Testament. Just think if you're writing the New Testament, are you going to put in where you're weak? So for people for all eternity to look back and see where you stand. I mean, this is totally counterintuitive. If I'm Paul here, I'm writing and listening to all the things that I'm really, really good at. So, you know, I remember it's being a really, really good guy. See, Paul is a guy who's so grasped what grace was, he was willing to confess where he was weak. It's interesting, instead of Paul bringing like his best religious resume to the table, it's like he's come to the part of the job interview where they ask him what his three weaknesses are, right? A lot of you have been through, a lot of you just moved here, a lot of you are going through job interviews right now. And, and you know, the interesting thing about job interviews is that you know, a lot of times you prepare for what they're going to be like. It's like what they're going to be like or what you think they're going to be like and what they're actually like. The questions you think you're going to get asked and the questions you do get asked. So you think you're going to be asked like, tell me about your GPA or tell me about the clubs you were involved in in college. They asked you, like, if you were in the circuits, what character would you be? Which was an actual question that Andy got when he interviewed for Apple. Um, you know, but the, the, the most difficult question, of course, is tell me your three weaknesses, right? Tell me three things that you're bad at. You're really nice out of the world. And my tendency is always to be like, well, I'm so good looking, but I'm distracting the other women in the office. Or like, oh, you know, I, I care so much about my job, but I just, you know, I work too hard sometimes. I just, I just care too much sometimes. Paul's not like that. He's not bringing that weak junk out there. He's coming, he's saying, I was a persecutor, I was an opponent of Jesus. It's like, Paul, bring us your three best qualities. And he's like, I don't need to bring my three best because my righteousness is found in Jesus. And so you can know about me. That was a blasphemy. I spoke against Jesus in ways you would never imagine. That I was a persecutor. I persecuted Jesus in ways you would never imagine. That was an instant opponent. I killed people who followed Jesus. In ways that you would never imagine. He says this in verse 14. I would underline this if you can. He says this The grace of our Lord overflows from you with the faith and love in Christ Jesus. What Paul's saying here is like, I was drowning in grace. It's like, I came to God when he comes full of water, and he gave me a fire hose instead. It's just, just overwhelming how good the grace and mercy of God is extended to me. He says this, he gives the reason why in verse 16. He says, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example, as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Here's what Paul says. He says, You are meant to find your story in my story. You are meant not just to be entertained by my story. You are not meant just to study my story. You are meant to be swept up into my story to find and understand grace with the magnitude that I have found. We don't do this very well. We talked about this a few weeks. Paul is a very difficult guy to relate to. Look, 2,000 years ago, he, I mean, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. He killed people. A lot of us can't relate to that story. I was thinking about it this week. Lots of people relate to Paul the same way in his story, the same way he relates to the story of the Dark Knight. You may see the Dark Knight. Watching the Dark Knight, I remember distinctly being in the theater when I saw the Dark Knight the first time. Thinking, this is probably one of the most amazing movies I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was just, like, they killed it. It was phenomenal, it was entertaining, it was dramatic. It was just, it was awesome. But no point during that story did I say, you know what? I can really relate to this. You know, like, no point, you're watching The Dark Knight, I was like, you know what, when I watch Batman fight the dirt on the skyscraper, when I watch Batman drive through downtown on a motorcycle, I'm like, 
Or you're just not characterized by regularly reporting that it's going to be good. So, again, when you know that your righteousness comes from outside of you, it makes it okay for you to confess that you're wrong. Okay, that you're wrong. Question three. Are you quick to forgive other people who are wrong? Question three. Are you quick to forgive people who are wrong? See, here's the thing. When you understand, when you grasp the first part, when you grasp the bad news of the law, when you grasp the fact that you are utterly deserving of God's forgiveness, then you're going to be more willing to forgive other people instead of looking at people as, as individuals who have, to, who have to justify themselves before you. Instead, what you can say is, God has extended me grace and I can extend grace to you as well. See, I would say if you're very slow to forgive, if you're characterized by putting grudges, if you're angry for weeks and months on end about the smallest things, you probably don't really have a robust understanding of what grace is. That's not trying to be I'm just trying to say the facts that if you understand God's forgiveness towards you, his willingness to forgive you, even though you have no right to be forgiven, you will be put to forgive others. Here's the, here's the thing. Before we're done, here's what Paul says. Let's go look in verse 18. Because Paul's not done. There's three more verses that we're going to see in the rest. He says this. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some of may shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. See, what we've been talking about the past few weeks is this concept of legacy, and what we're getting at tonight is this concept of leaving a legacy of grace. Now, now last week, what we talked about was what does it mean to advance and protect that legacy? We said when God gives you a legacy to pass on to other people, you pass it on by advancing and by protecting. Okay, which is exactly why. Or so I it's advancing and protecting the mission. So you advance and you protect. And so as we're given this legacy of grace, we advance it by understanding that everybody, everybody, everybody wants grace, whether they realize it or not. So when you think about it, if you really understand this, the amazing gift that has been extended to you, the amazing gift that has been extended to you, the natural inclination of the heart is to want to pass this on love the most. And that's the way it advances. It advances person by person, sharing coffee, sharing a meal in people's homes, in the workplace. That's how it advances. It's pretty simple. Right? You protect it. You protect it by what Paul says here. He tells Timothy, he says, I want you to wage the good warfare. Here's what I want you to do, Timothy. I want you to fight. Okay? I want you to fight. Now, this is totally counterintuitive. For me, I'm very non-confrontational. I really like people who like me. I don't enjoy having difficult conversations. But what Paul is saying, he's saying, there are men, there are going to be men and women who sneak into the church and they try to distort this message of grace. And he says, you need to fight. You need to fight. He even names two people. He says, Hymenaeus and Alexander, those jerks that tried to sideline the mission of God for an extended period of time, kick them out, hand them over to Satan. It's a pretty harsh message. It's a very harsh message. What he's saying is, is the grace of the gospel is so precious that you have to fight for it. You have to fight for it. Protect it. So I'll be brief here. Here's the thing. It's for us as a church, we will fight for this. 
We will fight for it because it's so precious. It's so precious. And so I'll just say that if people come in here with jacked up theology and these popular cultural ideas that are opposed to the Bible teachings, we will fight graciously against them. Because the word of God is false. It's totally counterintuitive. I know, I know it may not seem loving, but here's the thing. Because in my opinion, the most unloving thing we can do is let people jump onto a shipwreck for belief system. That's the most unloving thing. You may say that's not very nice. I'll say, I understand that. I know it may not be nice. I know it may seem intolerant. I understand that if you want any idea who I was, or we get people petitioning outside here because I say, that's, that's okay. Here's the thing. It's on one hand, it, it, it's at the very part of it. I mean, what the culture says is right. A lot of times we come at odds with what the Bible says. And you and I will ultimately have to make a choice about what a final authority is. We will just have to make a choice about what a final authority is. And for me, I would rather accept the word of God to the trusted, proven word for 2,000 years than I would be ever changing, ever feeling popular cultural opinion about what's right or wrong. I will. We'll fight. We'll fight. For those of you who are in our church, for those of you who are checking out our church and thinking about it, this is the place where we want you to fight with us. We want you to fight with us. So many people will fight for a job. Many people will fight for an education. Many people will fight to make it. Many people will fight for family. Many people will fight for marriage. Many people will fight, fight, fight. But we want you to do is not to recognize any of those things as being bad and say we will fight alongside and see the mission of God continue forward through this church to this city. That's what we want. I'm not trying to go all prophetic here, but here's the thing. Because our church is growing in ways that we could never ask for imagine. In seven months, we have gone from being a 10-person Bible study in my living room, a sort of viewed as a cult, to now being a room full about this size. We just didn't anticipate that. And we thank God for that. We've seen growth in other ways. We've seen people come to faith in Christ with us. We've seen baptism. We've seen uh, our community being served. Here's the thing, a lot of good things happen. If you are naive, if you think that we don't live in a war zone, this is going to be easy, and we won't be under attack. We are in a war zone, shots will be fired. What we want you to do is just be ready for it. Be ready to fight alongside us, graciously, humbly, for the good of the gospel in the silver. What Paul's saying is this. One of the most precious things that I can pass on in my life, in my ministry, from everything I accomplished is a legacy of grace. And it's so simple. This is the very heart of the Christian faith. This is the very heart of what makes Christianity unique from every other religion. Every other religion says if you do enough, if you have the right religious resume, if you have accomplished enough, God will love you. Paul comes into something totally, totally different. He says this. He says, You'll never be good enough. You'll never be good enough. But here's the thing. It's God, by His grace, has given His Son to die on your behalf so that grace and mercy and forgiveness and righteousness may be extended to you. In ways that you could never imagine that I could have Me and every other religion says it's all about what you do for God, and Christianity says you can't do it enough for God, but God will do enough on your own. That's the great thing about grace. You can't earn it. 
absolutely, absolutely genuine. I heard this week somebody said, "Urban grace is as likely as planning the roads to provide for It is. I mean, you're just counterintuitive. The very part of the Christian faith is that you can't do anything God's faith. You can't do anything in God's faith. He is willing, He is able to extend grace and righteousness and mercy for you. This is our legacy. This is what we seek to advance. This is what we want to fight for. And this is what Paul gave his life to. So I want to give my life to you. So I want to challenge you to do this as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you so much for your forgiveness that's extended towards us. Um, God, make us make us aware of what Christ has done. Let God transform our lives in a way that we can help. Extending that grace and mercy on us. As we keep people characterized by being gentle, as we individuals characterized by being quick to forgive, let us discern the current situations where we are meant to fight the gospel. It's protected and it's offensive. God, plant your church, grow your gospel, and extend your grace and mercy. Amen.